You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, good afternoon, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all on this blessed Friday afternoon, drive time show with myself, Kayum, brother Daniel, and joining us remotely will be brother Raza shortly. Um... Coming to you with two important topics, as always. Um, interesting topics to, to to discuss on a Friday afternoon. We would love to hear from you. For the first hour, we're going to be talking about hate crimes, something that uh, I think has been spoken about a number of times over the post past few months and years, um, as uh, people from different communities um, are experiencing a rise in hate crimes. We're going to be talking about that from four to five. And from five to six, we're going to be talking about men, men's health, character, characteristics, attributes. We would love to hear from you if you want to contribute on any of those two topics, 0208-687-7878, or join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK, or email us via our website, www. Voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, good afternoon. Peace be on you, Bill Daniel. Good afternoon. Peace be on you and all the listeners out there. Um, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Um, yeah, really glad to be here. It, is, uh, it has been a beautiful day. Uh, it's been sunny. It's been nice here in London and uh, a little chilly, but uh, very nice and sunny. I'm so glad you said that. Brother Raza, good afternoon. You are out and about. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you. How are you this afternoon? Assalamualaikum. I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today, everyone. Brother Daniel. Th- thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining brother us. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I thought I'd do the drive-by today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice one, yes. Uh, we, we've swapped places today. Um, bro- the brother Daniel was talking about how, what a lovely day is, and I was thinking, is this man gone mad till he said, it's a little bit chilly. <laughs> Is it me? Is no, but it, to me, nice is when it's chilly, but it's sunny. It's sunny cold, and chilly man. is nice. Yeah, it's it's well, it's not it's not freezing cold. Come on, come on, Kayun, man. brother, Kayun, oh, please. Come on. It's my age. I'm <laughs> for, for today, I give in. I give in to both of you. I feel old today. <laughs> This, this is, Brother Daniel, this is, this is the person talking that I have never seen with a jacket. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly that, yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's, he's finally admitting his age, I think. He's, he's finally coming to terms. <laughs> oh, early in the program with the age, yes, I like that. <laughs> we will talk more about that in the second hour when we talk about <laughs> men's health <laughs> and yes. age. But for the first hour, we are going to be talking about hate crime. Brother Daniel, what is what are we talking about today? So hate crime uh, is a crime towards a person that is motivated by something the victim has in their possession or control, which makes the offender commit the crime. Hate crimes can fall into one of the three um, types, really. So there can be physical assault, verbal abuse or incitement to hatred. Met Office um, defines hate crimes as any criminal offense which is perceived by the victim or any other person to be motivated by hostility or prejudice based on a person's race or perceived race, religion or perceived religion, sexual orientation or perceived sexual orientation, disability or perceived disability, and any crime motivated by hostility or prejudice against a person that is trans- transgender or perceived to be transgender. Brother Raza, <laughs> what's, your, what's your take on, on hate crime? 
Unfortunately, I think what we've seen in the past is that <clears throat> it is on the increase. Uh, at least I know after, for example, when you had the Brexit uh, referendum, you had, uh, you know, hate crime motivated based on religion. Uh, I think that's something that we from the Anglican community can talk about it all too well, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, there's different reasons. I'm sure we're going to get into that uh, throughout the program as well. But the lack of knowledge of the other, the uh, lack of education of what the other side believes, what the other side holds, what, what, what makes them uh, take back something, I think, that uh, is one of the reasons. At least, personally, I've experienced that. When you talk to them um, and explain to them where you're coming from, what you believe is, and why you believe in certain things, the, the change in perception that people have I think that's, that's uh, something quite something interesting to look at. According to the American Psychology Association, hate crime occurs due to various types of prejudice, which usually results from political or social situations. And some examples include devaluing a certain group of society or feeling threatened by demographic alterations. I mean, just um, specifically spoken um, about these uh, demographics and, and groups of societies, uh, that Brother Raza talked about. I mean, I mean, gentlemen, this 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 word hate. Mm. It's a strong word. It is a strong word. Absolutely. I, I don't think. I think. I think we kind of haven't we diluted the word uh, because p- people don't re- we, people don't realize the. I think we depth. normalized it. We have, haven't we? Mm. We have normalized it too much. I think. Yeah, little kids talk about. I hate this. I hate that. Exactly. I hate this food. I I hate these clothes. Yeah. And we've really I mean, the, normalized the word, this word dislike nobody uses yeah. anymore. That's kind of the medium makes more sense. Is more normal. Oh, yeah. I dislike this. Oh, yeah. Something I don't, I don't like. like. Yeah. yeah, but no, I hate this. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the extreme. Yes, I absolutely. mean, in the English language, the depth of the word hate, or in any other language, is mm. it's quite. Um, um, I think society as a whole loses because we've devalued the word because people just mm. kind of take it at uh, you know it's it's like a I don't know. People don't think it's a serious topic. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, you you just pinned it absolutely, uh, you know, on the spot. Either you changed the, the phrase hate crime because you've already diluted, as you say, yeah. and you've normalized the term so much because hate doesn't mean much, uh, you know, in a because it, you ask a typical teenager, he'll tell you 20 things he hates exactly. or she hates. That's it. Uh, and, um, and, and and we're calling, uh, you know, a hate crime something which is which is totally abhorrent uh, in a society which shouldn't exist so yeah spot I mean on. I mean hate is hate is something um, people kill mm. people people I mean perfect example um, what last week the 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 gentleman uh, who with mental health issues who threw a bomb at the immigration center yeah he, yeah, he threw he threw some kind of fire um, yeah, in, something in Kent yeah is, you know it that's hate that is hate and and mm. what's so scary there is it's hate based on lack of knowledge, lack of awareness, lack of even knowing the people mm. that that they're looking to victimize. So according to <coughs> uh, the Met Office, hate crimes in England and Wales have risen by twenty six percent in the last um, in the last one year alone. Wow! And two thirds of these were racist, as you said. Well, we are being invaded. Yeah, so, absolutely. so, uh, <laughs> well, brother Raza. 
I, I on, on that note, one thing that I wanted to add here, I think, <clears throat> is I, I sometimes, in some cases, you, 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 you have to put yourself into the other person's shoes. Now, if I am bombarded with certain um, stereotypes about certain groups, for example, let's take Muslims, I mean, that's something that we can relate to, we can talk about. If you pick up any newspaper, if you pick up social media, if you pick up, you know, even mainstream media, maybe not so much today as it was a couple of years ago, the, the reporting about what Muslims believe, what Muslims are. If there is somebody sitting in his living room, not knowing any Muslim whatsoever, not having any interaction with a person from the other faith, that, what, whatever is being fed to that person, he is going to take it at face value. He's going to take that as the truth. Yep. Because there are people sitting on TV, talking on radio, who are professionals, who are experts in their field, and then you have these, what, extremism, Islamic extremism experts, or radical experts, whatever you want to call them. And they're telling you, oh, this is something that is written in the Quran. They've never been to a mosque, they've never spoken to a Muslim, but they've heard someone say it on TV. Now, I remember um, back in the days when, you know, something that the Muslim, the Muslim community does all across the globe, these book stalls. And the interactions that I have had with people sometimes who are just, you know, walking by, hurling abuse and talking and whatever, and they don't want to stay there and listen to what I have to say because they've already made up their mind based on what they've heard, what they've read, what they've, you know... It's pre-con- preconceived TV. ideas, um, yeah. what, what social or mainstream media has thrown at them. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Which is such a, such a shame. Uh, hate crimes, um, again, another statistic motivated by religion, has have increased uh, tremendously. So there were 8,730 reports. Uh, this is the highest in the last 10 years after a decrease uh, over the last over the previous two years. Around two fifths of the of these 8,730 were targeted against Muslims. You see, again, interesting language, isn't there? When people people write reports and surveys and and, and research and hate crimes motivated by religion, mm. that sentence motivated by religion, it, it's got to be incorrect, isn't it? It's yeah. misunderstood religion. Nobody can be motivated by religion to to kill. Yeah. It's just not or, or, or irrespective of what religion you come yeah. from. Yeah. I mean, killing is the is the next step, even to hate. Exactly, yeah. but but to but to say that you know even again the, the mainstream media kind of talks about how people are motivated by scriptures or religion or God, and and I always find that strange that don't these these people cannot be so naive that that they are, when they make these reports that they don't know what they are saying they clearly know what they are saying, and and they're kind of uh, they're attacking the religion themselves. By saying that somebody is motivated by religion to commit crime or to to hate, as you so say, I mean, killing is 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 the you know is the most extreme perspective. But there is no place in any religion for 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 hate, is there? Yeah, it's a bis- bit of a mismo- misnomer here. So it's uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's 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 really the misinterpretation of religion, of religious text, of religious scripture, which leads to. Uh, to violence and um, uh, uh, basically ignorance and and lack of understanding. Lack of understanding. Um, 
Brother, as I talked about um, um, hatred and uh, we as Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has, uh, we, we have had our own experiences um, internationally um, when it comes to, to hate crime. Let's go and talk to our first guest of the afternoon. We have with us um, um, Australian missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. We have Sayyid, um, Imam Sayyid Vadud Janud. Good afternoon. Welcome. Assalamu alaikum and peace be on you, Imam Janud. Thank you for taking time out and coming on to the Drive Time Show, sir. Um, the, the topic of the afternoon is hate crime and, and the actions people take, um, um, you know, against a, a people, a community, um, a, a race. And and uh, and yes. Brother Raza kind of alluded to it earlier that within the Amni Muslim community, we've had our fair share um, of uh, of persecution. So following the vandalism of the House of Peace mosque earlier this year in, in Australia, mm. what was the general reaction of the Muslim community? Yeah, so in June, um, as you mentioned, the House of Peace mosque, um, the Beit Salam mosque, um, was vandalized um, at night. Uh, actually, in the early hours of the morning, uh, by more than twelve youth, um, the reaction—I mean, of course—initially the reaction is of shock, um, of disbelief that you know a place, um, a sanctuary like a mosque, would be vandalized in the manner that it was. But then you see that you know such um, crimes, such hate crimes, um, it brings you know, the greater community together, not only, you know, the faith community, but also just the general public, you know, they all come together um, in solidarity against such acts um, of hate. So did you see a reaction from other members of uh, the society in, in general, other than Muslims? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I lived at the mosque with my family. Mm. Um, I was present at the mosque when this happened. Right. Um, and, you know, Beit Salam Mosque, the House of Peace Mosque being the biggest mosque in Melbourne. So you would, you would, you know, you could imagine the kind of reaction um, it would cause in the greater community. Um, and we saw, you know, um, the following Friday, we held actually a small program after Friday prayers, after Juma prayers. Um, we held a small uh, mosque solidarity day. And we thought, you know, maybe just the local neighbors may attend it. Uh, but we ended up having, you know, nearly 150 guests attending from all walks of life, neighbors, people of faith, um, from authorities, police, uh, you know, from the from Victoria uh, Fire Brigade uh, to politicians, you know, so much so that we had the premier of Victoria, you know, the highest authority, the highest government authority of Victoria, you know, come out and visit the mosque to stand in solidarity um, against hate crimes. Um, against all hate crimes, against all you know places of worship, not only mosques. In order to trace back the uh, uh, <clears throat> almost the steps, uh, you know, almost the the um, what led these the, these youth to actually come and and do this sort of thing, uh, has there been um, uh, an increase in the rhetoric in the media generally around um, Islamophobia in in Australia or um, in Melbourne? Um, I think generally around the world we see Islamophobia on the rise. Sure. Generally around the world we see, um, you know, Islamophobic attacks on the rise. So I wouldn't say that Australia um, is an exemption, mm. but absolutely, you know, in Australia we've seen, um, you know, there's been various studies that have been done uh, which have 
shown and proven that how these Islamophobic, you know, uh, hate crimes, they're on the rise. And, you know, living in the mosque, you know, you're always in the limelight. And over the years, you know, I've experienced many such attacks at the mosque. But this was perhaps, you know, the most um, brazen in nature that 12 people, um, you know, climb the fence, they come inside the mosque, they vandalize it, they ride, you know, bicycles in the praying area, so on and so forth. So Melbourne is a part of uh, Victoria State, if I uh, if I get that yes, right. Yes, Melbourne, absolutely. So, so, so Melbourne's the capital of Victoria. It's a, it's, a ma- it's a major main city in the state of Victoria. Correct. So what has been the state's response? Um, the state's, you know, as I mentioned, the, that the response has been, you know, overwhelmingly, uh, you know, humbling, actually. Mm. Um, we've had the Premier come out so much so um, that when he came out, you know, the Premier of Victoria, you know, he offered the mosque grant through which we would be able to improve our security. But the Muslim community being the completely um, self-sustaining and self-funded organization, of course, we do not accept any foreign grants whatsoever. Um, that was the response... Uh, that, you know, they came uh, with with a check of nearly $50,000, you know, which they were prepared to present to the mosque um, so that we could enhance our security systems. So the response has been, uh, you know, great. For example, um, for weeks, you know, after the attack, I was receiving, you know, letters and cards, and people were even spending, um, you know, monetary donations in those letters and in those cards to the mosque to help and assist um, in the repair work that um, was to happen Im- after such an Imam attack. Imam what, what was the reaction of the Premier when you when you turned down, uh, uh, you know, assistance of $50,000? Because I'm sure that, that must have been a first for them. <laughs> uh, his actually exact words, um, I remember very clearly his exact words were, that you're the first Imam and the first organization that has ever turned down a monetary um, uh, assistance, monetary, you know, contribution and assistance. Even the people who have been sending, um, you know, checks or cash um, in cards and in envelopes and in letters, um, you know, we've been sending it back to their return addresses, thanking them, you know, mm. for the mm. for the extremely kind gesture. Absolutely. But um, as I've mentioned before, that the Ahmed yeah. Muslim Association around the world actually we are completely self-funded and self-sustained. We believe in we believe in giving, not taking. With what would it goes? This goes. The reason I ask is because this goes in teachings and of the promised Messiah, on whom be yeah. peace. He talked about, um, um, you know, there will be times where, we, where you know, if you look at the the earlier time of the promised Messiah when he struggled, um, yet um, the word of of his word and his in the form of advertisements were sent around the world. His Holiness talked about it today. Yeah. How in United Kingdom, eighteen eighty five is when the first message of the promised messiah came to uk absolutely yet if one was to look at it today um you know we we it's the blessings of of god almighty and from the teachings of the holy prophet may peace the blessings of allah be upon him absolutely which has been brought to us by the promised messiah yeah which talk about contributing towards the society rather sorry ma'am go ahead yeah i think um our our response you know it, it represents the guidance of the teachings of the promise of peace be upon him. And we see that because of, you know, that response, 
um, just the national, the amount of national coverage, not only national, but, you know, international coverage um, that we received in the ensuing months um, was something, you know, so extraordinary that it had no, um, it had no effort on our part. It was something that was being driven, you know, beyond um, human intervention and control. Um, and, you know, all of that, it stems from, you know, the guidance and the teachings that we receive, of course, from the promise of peace upon us, but also from the leadership and guidance of His Holiness, um, the Caliph. Um, Imam Vadud, I mean, you've you've explained the assistance you received and, and, and or were offered um, after being a victim of uh, of, uh, um, of 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 a hate crime. What what advice would you give to others? Um, and you know, you and Brother Daniel kind of. Um, um, kind of stated earlier how um, hate crimes are on the increase on a global level. What would be your advice to people who are victims of hate crime out there? I think it's extremely, you know, important um, to not let a crime like this or an incident like this consume you or affect your life. Mm. Um, I think as Muslims, you know, we know firsthand what it feels like to be marginalized, what it feels like to be painted with the same brush, you know, as as extremists. It's very easy, you know, to do that. So I think, you know, you have to be conscious enough to realize that, look, um, you know, people who commit these hate crimes, they do not represent the majority. Hmm. Um, and when you get the response, you know, just the, just the response that we received from the community, the the outpouring of, you know, solidarity and love um, you realize that look, there's greater good out there. There's there's more good people out there than you know the people who commit these hate crimes. So it's always important, I believe, to make a conscious effort to realize that, and that helps you um, overcome you know these these unfortunate incidents. And finally, how would you what what would you advise, or what do you think we need to do, even as individuals? Um, we always talk of organizations and governments and, uh, uh, you know, but as individuals, as me, Brother Daniel, uh, Brother Raza, what is it that we as individuals can do to to limit hate crimes in the future? Look, I think, you know, it's very easy to say this, um, but I think, and again, you know, this goes, it, 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 it may sound cliche, but it's so true. Um, that education and awareness, you know, this is the only way to counter. You know what? It doesn't at all. Um, hate. It's 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 the only way that you that you can counter hate. And yeah. you know, just recalling an incident that a few years ago we had another, you know, similar hate crime. Um, actually, one of the members of the mosque he was assaulted. His nose was broken, actually. Oh, wow. um, and the police got involved. The authorities got involved. And we expressed our desire that look, we do not want to press charges. All we want to do is. Um, for them to come to our mosque uh, and sit down with us and talk with us. Um, so that ended, up ha- that ended up happening in the presence of police. And I kid you not, I could see um, the concern on the person's face mm-hmm. when he came into the mosque. Um, by the time we had food and we sat down and we talked, um, you know, his response was, that, look, I can assure you that something like this will never happen again. Um, and since that day, from that neighbor, from that particular house, we've never had any issue um, whatsoever. So definitely, you know, education and awareness, mm. um, it, that, that 
brings down the walls of, you know, ignorance and hate. This, I mean, this is similar to when we had the shooting in Texas, was it? Yeah. Where the shooter was invited to the mosque. Yes, and, and, absolutely, exactly. Um, where he, he was actually embarrassed and ashamed because yeah. what his notion of, of uh, Islam and, and, and Ahmadiyyat was and to mm. what he experienced and the love and the affection and the brotherhood that was offered to him. Yeah, absolutely. It has happened in a number of places. I, I know it's happened in New York, it's happened in, in, in New Jersey. So Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, in all of those cases, had the reaction been, you know, let's put them behind bars, mm. um, let's, let's press charges on them. I can guarantee you that they would have come back, you know, in some shape or form, or it would have furthered, you know, the hate exactly. for that mosque or for that community um, in their mind or in their. It would heart. have only aggravated uh, the situation absolutely. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's only education, and and the fact that you are the biggest mosque in Melbourne, I think, gives you such a great platform to be able to actually use this opportunity to build bridges, to go out there, educate people, and and I guess it just. Uh, <clears throat> sort of underscores the importance of the work that um, uh, that we're all doing here in Voice of Islam, uh, you know, in, in terms of trying to build those bridges, trying to remove those misunderstandings between various communities, because this is, it's it's all pointless at the end of the day. It's, you know, hate is just a, a, a very wasteful use of, uh, of energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, Im- Imam Sayyid Vadu Janu, thank you so much. Yeah, I, um, oh, you want to ask something yeah, before no, I say no? No, thank you so much. I, I, I I'm still. Uh, <laughs> I, I apologize. <laughs> don't hate me, man. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, please. No, no, my like apologies, you. please. Do. No, no, that, that's all right. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask in terms of the investigations uh, that may have. Uh, uh, um, happened as a result of this. Has has police made any any headway, and has uh, our community made any uh, sort of um, an effort to reach out to those people as well? Out of the twelve culprits, um, police was able to apprehend um, eight of them. Right, youngest being youngest being eighteen years old, and the oldest being sixty two years old. Oh wow! Um, and yeah, so their investigations um, still ongoing. I know that they were presented before the magistrate and they've been bailed, awaiting um, the next hearing. Right. Okay. Have you finished? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in a hurry today, are no, you? No, no, because yeah. there's one question I want to ask uh, um, Imam Vadud, which has got nothing go to do with this topic. Yeah, okay, so do I. Okay, go ahead. I want to ask, Australia is holding the World Cup. Oh, my God. You, you stole my question. <laughs> Have you, did you watch the India-Pakistan match at MCB? M- uh, MCG, I should say. Absolutely. I watched the India-Pakistan game. You did. I, think I, I, think I, I think I marked that date, 23rd of October, oh, okay. about, a, about, about a year ago when the, when the schedule was released. And, uh, and What a match that was that then. Yeah, was absolutely. Well, well was, was, my interest was probably one of the best or greatest T20 games. Absolutely, and what an atmosphere! Absolutely, you know, nineteen thousand people. That must have been one some sight to see, some some place to be, right? Indeed, indeed. Um, I've got no words to describe um, just the atmosphere, awesome. um, the amount of people, um, the game itself, how it was um, seesawing. You know, either way, either, you know, last over both teams could have won. Um, so I don't think so. You could have asked for a better. 
Well, well, well I, I, I've got a different context on this, you Indian Pakistani people. <laughs> I, my, my take is, is more England and Australia. <laughs> I, I am an England supporter here. Yes, <laughs> go ahead. My, my question is actually a little bit away from cricket, that in, in the rainy season, why isn't the MCG being used, which has got a, a, a closed roof? No, so MCG, um, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, doesn't have the closed roof. Which one does it? It is the Marvel Stadium, which is just down the road, ah. has the closed roof. So why why aren't but, they uh, using that? Um, That's not I, a cricket stadium. It, it, it is. I think it's purely from a business perspective. Um, MCG is able to hold, you know, in access of 100,000 people, um, whereas Marvel Stadium can only accommodate, I think, about um, about 50,000 odd or so. But, but also, so many and, matches and also, have been rained off. Yeah, and also, um, I don't think so. Anyone would have expected, um, you know, this happening, you know, in in November or late October. I mean, this is our dry season. Um, this is where you know cricket's happening all around the country. Um, this is the you know October, November are the last months where you would expect any sort of rain. So I think maybe you know effects of maybe global warming or just um, just odd weather patterns um, have unfortunately definitely global warming, Imam Madhu. Definitely mm. global warming. I think <laughs> who's going to win, Imam Madhu? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Like, Australians like to put euphemisms around around these what they call freak events, but these freak events, these fires and 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 uh, these colds and rains have been happening and floods, not to mention, have been happening well, uh, you know, far too often in the last there's, few years. There's this um, La Nina. Yeah. Um, weather pattern that happens every they always decade. come up with a nice name yes yeah yeah and apparently we're supposed to have a really wet summer um but let's see that it's it's i've never witnessed uh, i mean i've been here for most of my life um and even after graduating Jammeh, but i've never experienced you know a wet summer like this or even a cold summer like this so who's it going to be who's the winner imam Badud? Who's um <laughs> so it's england isn't it i think i think um England is a favourite. England's got a very yeah. good chance, uh, yeah. but you know, of course, being an Australian uh, from Australia, uh, I'm backing home team Australia. Hopefully, they make it through. Wonderful. We've got a slim sure. chance, but hopefully. Wonderful, wonderful. Jazakallah, thank you. May Allah reward you. Imam Sayyid Vadu Janud, thank you so much for taking time out and uh, joining our conversation and enlightening us with uh, some substance on this topic. I wish you a fantastic evening ahead. May peace be with you. Jazakumullah for having me and it's actually nearly one o'clock in the morning so good night ahead. Good night. You guys have a good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. Assalamualaikum. Um, man, that, that match seems to have kind of... Uh, uh, hit a raw nerve that India Pakistan. Oh match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One of and our one of our producers says that match was a disgrace. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't quite I wouldn't quite call it that. And actually, hoping against hope, I'm still hoping for an India Pakistan final. So yeah, uh, dream, let's, dream on, <laughs> dream on. Let's see. Let's uh, um, go back to the topic of hate. I mean, but to be honest, the cricket, um, hate crime and cricket, kind of go hand in hand, especially in recent months. What happened in Leicester? Oh yeah, the other way. Absolutely. Yeah, I think sport can be a great uh, bridge. Also, a sport is a great bridge. Sport helps bring people and nationalities together. But I have never experienced but something that was, like that. Yeah, I think that's exactly that's pathetic. Really, that's. I mean, I don't have another word for it. Really, I thought it was quite sad. It is sad. Yes, it is sad. I. I don't know. It's lack. Of, I. I won't even call it. It's lack of education. It's. Uh, it's just people 
being crazy, I think. No, but you see, those kind of events annoy me because we're mm. giving ammunition mm. to that far-right mindset. It is, yes. That, Absolutely. Look, this is why we hate them. No, but it's it's not just uh, you know it was it, it, it was some misunderstanding between the Hindu community and the Muslim community, and they were, I think, um, miscreants on both sides. So yeah, if anything, I think this is really a bad example of uh, of living in a civilized society and and doing something like this. So, talking about motivation and and, and cricket, brother Raza. Um, yeah, don't ask me about cricket, first of all. I wasn't going to ask you about cricket. I was going to ask you about football because, yeah. you, you, I mean, cricket and football, hooliganism, that notion of hate, something me and Brother Daniel were talking about earlier about how this word has been kind of devalued. I mean, but in, in, in football, supporters and the people, they hate each other, don't they? The way they fight each other. Yeah, if you, if you remember, I mean, we watched the Euro final together part yeah. of it and when for example in the backlash of what happened after the penalty yes the reaction was uh, towards marcus rashford for example yeah i mean this this is this is our team this is these are supposedly the lions the british lions who have made it into the final now when it comes to that nobody looks at how far they've made it we're all going to look at oh they missed the penalty and now add on top of that the color of their skin doesn't matter what you've done for the team doesn't matter what you've done for the country i mean rushford has not just done anything to the team if you look at the school meals and, and his fight for that i mean that's that's an outstanding achievement itself but again the lack of of understanding and just you know the, the, the very very bad side of people coming to the forefront when something doesn't go their way, if they don't do what they expect them to do. And that's something, I mean, I, 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 we had a show uh, with Brother Fahim on that just a couple of days ago. And if you look at the stats, it's not just in the stadium. Well, in the stadium, you might be able to control, you might be able to find the teams or the fans, whatever. But online, when they take it online, there's just no filters whatsoever. Everything goes. Everything is legal. Everything is allowed. Um, and that's something which is concerning. B- before we go on to our next guest, Brother Raza, I, I just wanted to kind of get your perspective on what's the what's the way forward? What's the what's the solution that that we as Muslims can bring to society? I think um, it, it starts if you go back to the time of the Prophet Muhammad peace not about the color of your skin, it's not about where you come from, but in the sight of God Almighty, ultimately, is your level of righteousness. I mean, in the Holy Quran, we find different verses where it says that, you know, you, you can do whatever you want, you can be the greatest, or whatever. In the sight of God Almighty, what counts is your level of righteousness. What counts is your closeness to God Almighty. Did you fulfill not just only his rights, but also the rights of the people. So if you have the example of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, you put him in also his talents afterwards. I mean, Hazrat Bilal is one of the perfect examples where he just completely, or if you look at the, the, the farewell sermon, where he completely eradicated racism whatsoever, and which is ultimately then followed by hate crimes. 
um, when he says that a black has no superiority over white, white has no superiority over black. If you are an Arab or if you're not an Arab, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is your righteousness, your closeness to God Almighty. And if you have that closeness to God Almighty, then ultimately I think everything else falls into, falls into place and racism or hate crimes just go out the window. There's a very beautiful saying by the fourth caliph of the Amnesty community that if I look at a picture, and I love that picture, in this example that we've just had, I mean, look, these, these, the, the UK or the British football team, the English football team, what, what a tremendous run they had all the way up to the final. So I like that art. I like the way they play football. But then when it doesn't go my way, how can I hate the artist? But if you love the creation, if you love what the, the, the artist has created, then you ultimately and automatically must love the Creator as well. And if we start to get closer to God Almighty and fulfill His right and fulfill what He has told His messengers, so you can be a Christian, you can be a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim, doesn't matter what it is. No prophet on earth ever taught to hate the other people, to hate the other side. And so ultimately it goes back to, you know, going back to the root which is why we have the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Empire of Security in this day and age, coming back, reminding us if this is what you should be believing in, this is what you should be practicing, and this is how you can develop that connection with God Almighty, which has been severed over the years. And I think, you know, in terms of putting that into practice, uh, there, the, the very good example that I can think of right now is the motto that the third head of the Amdiya Muslim community gave us, um, uh, which is love for all, hatred for none. 1996, yeah, uh, in Spain. Uh, in 1986. No, it must have been before love for that. All, the for none. third, I think. That when was, he went to Spain. So that would have been before, before because the fourth head was elected in 84. Sorry, uh, not uh, Yeah, uh, should not be 86. Um, when when, Petra, when when the mosque... Um, Early 80s or late 70s, I think that's it right, was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, so... Um, Let's uh, go um, straight to our next guest, uh, Becca uh, Rosenthal, who is a hate crimes operation manager at Victim Support Charity. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the radio this evening. Excellent to speak to you, Becca. Um, Becca, would you agree um, that the term hate has been normalized in the society in general? No, I think, you know, we are definitely in a bit of a, a tide turn at the moment, aren't we? I think in terms of under, understanding hate and, you know, exactly what it is. And I think especially when, you know, we talk about hate crime, you know, that's talking about, a, you know, a, a term where, mm. you know, a criminal offence has actually happened. But for a lot of people in, you know, kind of average society, you know, some of it might be experienced as, you know, sub-criminal hate. You know, I just heard the tail end there, so we talk about a bit about online hate as well, you know, which can often be sub-criminal, but that doesn't mean that it's any less harmful for somebody or, you know, any less impactful. So I think we're definitely in a bit of a tight team, don't we, in terms of understanding exactly what we mean when we talk about hate in, uh, in the UK. So towards the beginning of the show, um, I read out some statistics from the uh, from Met Police that a lot of mm-hmm. the hate crimes actually are um, uh, take place because of uh, racist uh, prejudice. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, so the statistics that come through, race always seems to be the most common um, mm. type of um, 
uh, occurrence in terms of hate crimes. So remembering, of course, that those are the ones that have gone, you know, through to the police and have been actually recorded by, you know, by the police. But, you know, of course, we, you know, we do know that there are things that happen in our communities at the moment that don't get reported. And I think um, underreporting is quite complex as well. A picture, perhaps mm-hmm. a conversation, you know, all of its own, you know, as well. But yeah, race, unfortunately, does seem to, to come up, um, you know, top each year. So would you then agree that it's really the politicians um, who are to blame, the media who are to blame, because they are the ones uh, who who talk about, you know, uh, closing our borders, um, uh, not letting refugees in, not letting the other uh, people in inverted commas in? Yeah, I think, you know, when we see statistics kind of released like we do now, so they come out every year by the Home Office, um, and it's just so difficult to read, you know, why these, you know, particular statistics have, you know, have gone up. Every year, you know, we see the same conversations happening because the understanding is quite slow to catch up. You know, when we look at research, the cogs of research turn really, really slowly in terms of being able to unpick, you know, the, you know, the statistics. And whether, you know, this year we have, you know, we've seen rises right across the board in terms of protected characteristics. And, you know, we know some police forces are working really hard to improve their recording. We know there's been some big campaigns, not just by national organisations, but by smaller communities themselves as well to kind of increase, you know, confidence in reporting and encouraging people to step forward and report what they're seeing and what they're experiencing, you know. And if it's because of increased confidence and better police recording, fantastic, you know. But it is a concern, isn't it, that we see this, you know, kind of widespread increase across the board this year. And it's certainly something that none of us in the UK can, you know, can ignore. And where those influences are, it really is too early, you know, to say we have seen peaks in the past where we've seen national events and perhaps, you know, national narratives happening that have influenced those, you know, that that kind of data set. But at the moment for this hate crime data, it's really difficult to really kind of pinpoint where the you know the influences are but it is a worry isn't it that all of the those um, protected groups are going up across the board um becca would you uh, would you agree <laughs> that immigration in general I, uh, you know given that all of us are, our forefathers came from different places you know this mm-hmm. uh, um most of the people in this country are anglo-saxon and and uh, um uh, and Saxony is not in in in, uh, in England or in Scotland. Um, my forefather certainly uh, came from another place. So, would you agree that this whole debate, this whole concept of immigration controls, is a very selfish concept? You know, it's fascinating. You know, I mentioned the the term kind of sea change. You know, a while back, and we, you know, I really do think we are. You know. When, when when we look back, when we're, you know, entering our old age, and you sound like a young man, I'm sure, um, you know, when we're entering, uh, you know, old age and we, and we look back, you know, we'll certainly see that we've gone through a bit of a sea change at the moment. And it's difficult, you know, it's, it is difficult to, to look, you know, we, we know that... Um, you know, when we look at hate crimes, you know, we look at that influence of, you know, prejudice and hostility. And we know that a lot of that comes from othering, you know, and we can see quite a bit of that happening in our societies at the moment. And that's bound to have an influence, isn't it? But I think, you know, if we're just talking about the numbers, it's really difficult to, you know, to see it's just early days, really, in terms of how we see where that, that kind of influence has come in our community. But these things will, you know, essentially affect you know, how we see it, that, you know, affects how people behave online as well and to what, you know, people's priorities might be. You know, national narratives do matter, don't they? But Absolutely. I think it's too, 
too early to pin that flag to mass in terms of these. I mean, if numbers. you if you flag every month the the, the immigration numbers uh, uh, on, um, uh, on on people's faces, if they are. Uh, on top of newspapers, uh, newspaper headlines, if they are in um, uh, on your TV screens, then obviously, you know, people will be affected by it. At, at the end of the day, you know, all of these mediums are opinion makers. Mm, yeah, we're quite, we're very influenced by, um, you know, by the media. And, you know, when we look at previous years, you know, like I said, it's too early to look at these stats now. But when we look at previous years, we can see big influences from, you know, the perspective that the media takes, for example, with the Manchester Arena bombing and, mm. you know, the increase in, you know, certain hate crimes we saw after then, you know, the COVID, um, you know, 19, the increase in hate crimes against Eastern and Southeast Asian communities, for example, you know, we do that narrative matters you know doesn't it in terms of um setting a standard for what people feel and you know what they say and what they you know what they believe but i've got to say you know in our work as well we do see some incredible movements of hope you know as well in terms of hate crime and communities coming together in such a fantastic way to create a positive you know narrative and really positive counter narratives as well and i think it's important to to reflect and acknowledge them you know as well and particularly like stations like yourselves you know making sure that this conversation happens as well mm-hmm. that can only be a positive thing in terms of creating great spaces for conversations like these but also encouraging people to reach out for support and um, you know when they have been affected as well thank you so in terms of that support uh, what sort of support does your charity offer yeah, so we are, you know, we are an independent charity, so we operate across um, England and Wales. And, um, you know, what in terms of what support we do, it's very much as it says on the tin, you know, we are uh, a victim support, you know, charity. We are a specialist service and, our, you know, we, we support people who've experienced crime, people who've experienced a really traumatic, you know, incident. And whether or not they turn to the police, you know, we support them to overcome what's happened to them and to really get their lives back on track if that's the kind of support that they need. Right. Becca Rosenthal, thank you so very much for joining us today. It was fascinating speaking to you and uh, hopefully, uh, as you said, discussions like these, discourses like these will will help build the bridges, people understanding Absolutely. that, uh, you know, it's just a wasted energy hit. It, we've all, at the end of the day, we're all people, we all have feelings and we all want to come together and um, uh, and, and learn to live together. Absolutely, yes. Hate's got no place in modern UK life, has it? But, you know, importantly, there is import- there is support there for people who do mm. receive it. And if anybody wants to get in touch with our, you know, charity, just search for victim support and we'll, we'll come up on top of the, the internet search. And, you know, please do reach out, get in touch. We, you know, we'd love to support you, um, both individuals, families, witnesses and communities as a whole as well that are affected by hate. Well, thank you so very much for all the awesome work that you and your charity does. And thank you for uh, coming on to the show today. No problem at all. Happy to help. And hopefully we'll speak again. Absolutely. Look forward to that. Thank you very much. So that was uh, Becca Rosenthal, who is Hate Crimes Operations Manager at uh, Victim Support Charity. Um, Imam Raza, when we were talking to Imam Wadud earlier um, from Australia, and the brother Daniel asked about... um, you know the reaction to when you're a victim of of, of hate crime, and, and and it kind of to me my interpretation of what it, his response was that you don't hate back. Hmm. That because uh, that's the normal reaction is when when yeah. you when you've been a victim, you kind of want to take revenge hmm. and you have this, and and hmm. whereas that's not the route to go down. The route is that you shouldn't hate back, and 
And I was looking at, you know, um, um, the ninth condition of the oath of allegiance that we take within when we join or when right. people join yeah. the Amdiya Muslim community, where it says that under the impulse of any passion, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of God in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, hands, nor any means. Wow. Powerful, no? Absolutely. But that's the re- th- that is kind of the reaction one must have, even if you've been a victim. Yeah. And within the community, um, the community has had, as we've heard so many times, we've been victims of the community. Bro- Brother Reza, uh, could you kindly just elaborate briefly on, on, the, on the ninth condition of this oath of allegiance, please? And, and before you do that, just, just a, 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 you know, a preface to that. This was, I mean, look at the foresight of the promised Messiah. Yes. He wrote this, what, 140 years ago. Mm. He didn't. He didn't write this in the in 1980s. He, yeah. he wrote this in 1889, when a lot of people probably wouldn't un- even understand what the term hate crime means. Right, uh, brother Reza, over to you. No, absolutely. And I think at, at this point, I would like to mention one 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 more thing before I come to the ninth condition. There's a very beautiful example from the life of uh, Imam Hassan, who was the grandson of the Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now. What happened was um, that there was a servant who came uh, with tea, and he spilled that tea and, and fell onto, I think, was was the turban or you know the clothes of the, the grandson of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, <laughs> what's the natural reaction? He looked at him, and of course, you are a bit upset, you are a little bit angry, and quickly that uh, uh, servant he narrated or he, he spoke. He said a verse from the Holy Quran, a part of the verse from the Holy Quran, which it says that those who suppress their anger. And then uh, Imam Hassan, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, you know what, okay, I've, I've forgotten about it, don't worry about it. And then he narrated the second part of uh, the, the, the verse that says that those who pardon men. And upon this, Imam Hassan said, you know what, I forgive you, don't worry about it, I forgive you. Now, <laughs> The compa- that that servant he, he took it he took it into another uh, step, and he says that those who do good, meaning um, it's not just okay to forgive, it's not just okay to not be angry, but there's a level beyond that as well, and that uh, is of doing good. So upon this, Imam Hassan said, "You know what? You're free to go. You, I, I, I release you. You're a free man, and you can do whatever you want." That was the level of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, imagine, these were the people, or this was a nation that got into wars for petty reasons, for, for the smallest reasons, and they would fight for decades and decades without even realizing and knowing what exactly is it that we're fighting about, or fighting over. Now, in the lifetime of the, Holy, of the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, there was a reason why he set that condition, that ninth condition. It's part of your faith. It's, it's not an easy thing to do at all. But those who pardon for the sake of God Almighty, again, every, every condition that we find is based on the teachings of Islam, is, is found in the text of the Holy Quran. And, and that was one of the reasons. If we were to respond in, 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 in kind, then I think this is a vicious circle and the world would not get to anywhere. There would be no progress whatsoever. If you look at the history of religion, this is this is what religions have done. If you look at Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, what 
what did he come to, to teach? Forgiveness. Because the hearts of people had hardened so much that they were not ready, they were not able, they were not willing to forgive and forget. So every now and then, same thing with, with the promised Messiah, who was the Messiah of the Holy Prophet. On a similar note, he also said that, I receive letters filled with hate, filled with, 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 with vile comments and vile um, insults, but do I insult them back? No. In some cases, those people don't even have the money to pay for those letters. I have to pay for those letters in which I am insulted. But I, this is not what I want my community to do. And that's the reason why you see that around the globe, there's a peaceful voice, there's a peaceful leadership when it comes to promoting, promoting this, this, this faith. And, and again, if you have the religion of Islam, what is the meaning of Islam? Islam means peace. If you don't forgive, if you don't forget, if you don't pardon, then there is no way that you can establish peace, which is the ultimate goal of, uh, of Islam. Thank you, Brother uh, Imam Raza. Um, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, said in his speeches that Muslims should be righteous and kind at various times. A phrase from one treasuring speech is that they should not be guilty of any wickedness. No thought of any mischief, unkindness, discord or disorder should ever enter their hearts. Kindness to all men should be their principle and they should, and they should fear their Lord. Um. While laying the foundation stone for the mosque in Pedrobad in Spain on 9th of October 1980, it was 1980, um, I was corrected by Brother Daniel, thank you for that. Um, His Holiness, the third caliph of the Amli Muslim community, Azam Izzanasar, may Allah have mercy on his soul, said, Islam teaches us to live with mutual love and affection and with humility. It teaches us no distinction between a Muslim or a non-Muslim. My message to everyone is that you must have Love for all, hatred for none. You're listening to The Drive Time with myself, Kayoum, Brother Daniel and Brother Raza. We are coming up to the 5 o'clock news. After the news, we are going to be talking about men's health um, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be discussing uh, characteristics, what is and what, uh, what men should and shouldn't be doing. We are also asking a question um, on our Instagram story. What three qualities are important in a man. We have already received a number of replies, which we'll be discussing after uh, after the, the 5 o'clock news. So do stay tuned um, and uh, join us after these brief messages and the 5 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Friday afternoon drive time with myself, Kayoum and Brother Daniel. What three qualities are important in a man? That's the question on our Instagram story. We are going to be talking about men's health. We're going to be talking about the qualities of men, characteristics, attributes, whatever word you want to use. That is the topic for the next hour. We would love to hear from you or and uh, we would love for you to share your opinion. 0208-687-7878. Um, or you can uh, share your opinion on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Or you can email us via our website, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Brother Daniel, what is 
it that we are going to be talking about. So in today's show, we'll be looking at man's place in the world, his roles, responsibilities, and how he can uphold them. We'll, just, we'll also be discussing, um, talking about how men can actually taking, take care of themselves, both mentally and physically. The expression of a man's emotional or physical shortcomings actually is something which is frequently discouraged. A man, we've always all, yeah, you know, yeah, we've heard this. Uh, we've all heard this phrase: "Don't cry, be a man." Um, uh, but uh, what does that mean actually? Uh, is a man it not be a, a man? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it means: be a man. <laughs> does it mean that I cannot express uh, my emotions? Is no, that, I think it's. What about does that mean then? It means time and place. Mm. It is about time and place. Yes. Um, you know, um, I, th- I think, you know, this, this idea of, uh, uh, oh, I'm in, I'm in touch with my feminine side and, and I can show emotion. But, yeah, show, do f- it is good to show emotion. It is good for your mental health. But there's a place for it. Yeah. yeah I guess there is a time for it. Sure. And I think time and place is where the discrepancy happens, not that, oh, men shouldn't cry. That notion that men can't cry, mm. yes, of course, ridiculous. Because from a Muslim perspective... Well, we cry if, all the if, time, yeah. If, if, we if, cry in prayers all the time, yeah. If, if you're We're kind of bowing to, to God Almighty, yeah. in fact, it says pinch yourself to make yourself cry because, yeah. because you know, it, it's, that, is the, that is the way to do it. So if you're not crying in front of God Almighty... Then, then what is it that you're doing? Yeah, you know, kind of doing something right. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, this is this is then. I think a very probably would it be fair to say that this is a Western notion then that that men are not supposed to cry because in the East, uh, you know, in the Islamic um, uh, setting, we are encouraged to cry from from the beginning, especially in prayer. In prayer, yes, yes. But I, I, I would have said maybe. Two decades ago, Western issue is not. I think this is a global thing. Mm. I think this 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 narrative of men don't cry, or if you're, um, you know, it, it's this machismo, this, this thing about um, uh, crying is looked upon as a weakness. Mm. Um, I think it's been around for a couple, couple of decades now, and and it, it would be unfair to attribute this kind of narrative just to the West. I think mm. it is. Um, it is a it's 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 international now. Um, I sometimes I, I've done a program on domestic violence at one time, and 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 somebody said something which kind of hit a raw nerve with me. Kind of, and I thought so it makes so much sense that men who don't cry or who choose who program their minds not to cry, they let their aggression out in other ways because because they have been brought up on the notion. Mm. That they are not men if they start to cry. Yeah, yeah. And when all that built-up frustration it has to come out somewhere, it's got to come out somewhere. Mm. And it, unfortunately, in some circumstances, it comes out in the form of domestic yeah, violence. Exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, absolutely. Or or resorting to uh, to alcohol or drugs. Exactly. Or, or you know those sort of things. That's it. So so the narrative of I agree with you. You know we do get taught that, but there is. This again, I, I think media has a lot to do with it. Films, mm. you know, the, the the you know the macho man, mm. you know, he's mm. he's always the savior. He doesn't cry. Mm. James he, Bond, he's yeah, too absolutely. he's too strong. It's it's again that that thing about sign of weakness, but it's not. Um, as human as fellow human beings, men are also capable of feeling emotions and feeling pressured to fulfill their own roles in society, yeah, culture, or religion. And I think. That doesn't get spoken about. I think that's what's amiss at the moment. Right. 
you know, we we ourselves here we talk of equality so many times, yeah, uh, and so rightly so we talk of how um, you know equality for for women, um, but as, as practicing Muslims as Ahmadi Muslims we know that it's God Almighty who have who has given hmm. the equal equal rights to men and women, okay. but in the society we do live. Men has kind of portrayed wrongfully as is is the enemy. They don't look. It's like if if you're not for women's rights, you must be anti. Mm. It's like if you're not with us, if you're not uh, if you're not a feminist, then you must be doing something wrong. That's it. And it's like this mm. this narrative of uh, and this mindset of if you're not with us, you're against us. Right. Well, hold on. They're two different people, women, men, um, different capacities, different capabilities. Um, can do the same things, um, but again, what's his name? That, that psychologist, the Canadian uh, Jordan um, Jordan Pearson, or I'm sure somebody will call in and, and remind us. Um, he's quite controversial, right? Um, and uh, he talks about well, equality isn't about having equal opportunity, having the being given the access um, to the same opportunity, irrespective of your gender. Yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, you know, women are. I mean, be honest. I I always say it within the Amli Muslim community. If you were to look at the Amli Muslim Women's Association, very active, very lively. active. They are so miles ahead academically. Yeah, in front. <laughs> it's like you know the the not only academically in terms of the work they do in terms of the output they produce. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's but but the reason I say academically because because if you look at that the doctors, too. PhDs, Absolutely. masters yeah. in all aspects. Only a couple of days ago, I was watching um, a friend of mine send me uh, send me this this tweet this tweet. Of the the first Ahmadi Muslim police officer within Wandsworth and Merton, yes, how she has been uh, played a pivotal role in changing the uniform in the Met. Right, right. So you know, again, we always talk of rights of women, but mm. th- there is a role of men, a very strong, important role of men in society, and I don't really want to go that way, but in order to fulfil that role, it is their health is very important, which men tend to kind of ignore because sometimes they think it's unmanly to be worried about yourself. I've got so much to worry about others. I can't worry about myself. I don't have time for myself. That notion, that narrative, that um, it's, again, it's manly to to be just concerned about others. So that's the topic of the afternoon, men's health. Um, Mm. What what is it that uh, that, uh, men should be looking out for? Right. Uh, let's bring in our first guest uh, for this segment, Charlie Bethel, who is the chief officer of uh, UK's Men's Shed Sheds Association. Good afternoon, Charlie. Thank you for coming on the show. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Charlie, tell us about um, Men's Shed Sheds Association. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, really, men's sheds are a movement, and um, and very few uh, will come onto that. But very few activities are actually in sheds. So uh, basically, there's over a thousand sheds in the UK or workshops where men go, and in some cases women, but predominantly men, men only sessions where they go and make stuff or repair stuff or upcycle stuff, um, and by doing that. It's a very simple um, process. We find men um, make more connections. They make friendships that they never had before. 
They uh, connect to new communities and to their own community better. They can support local charities, local schools, and it reduces anxiety, depression, and loneliness, um, which eventually also prevents suicides. But um, a lot of the members will say to us, you know, we didn't know we were lonely before we came here, or we didn't realize how anxious we were about certain things. Um, so you know, there's, a, there's a big network of sheds, and it's, it's by just working shoulder to shoulder, because um, men don't like to talk about their feelings generally and we don't do it face to face or or, you know or talk about my own experiences of i don't like to talk about my feelings um and and yet if you're doing something together working on a project together to help somebody or to make something nice for yourself like a bowl or a a bird box um you will talk and and it's it's really interesting that we we let our guard down when we're we're not being intimidated by having to have a conversation about ourselves how is Jolly this different from, from any other activity that men would do together in, in another charity, for example, in, a, uh, I don't know, in, in another mental health charity or yeah. in another community charity or any other work that, that they might be doing? It's a, it's a really good question. I mean, in some ways, not at all. But um, I think one of the differences is that by being in a workshop, you're doing a couple of things. Um, one let's take a bird box or sanding down a piece of wood. Say you've got, um, yep, you're you're doing that. You actually create something. You're you're doing something and what you will create will be good. Whereas if you're saying go to an art class to help yourself um, or because you want to do something, you might be next to Rembrandt or Picasso or Leonardo da Vinci. And so when you look at your artwork compared to somebody else's, it might not give you that positive feeling as much as you know to create a bird box is a relatively simple thing to do um and there's always people there to help you or to carve a bowl out of a block of wood um and i think the other piece that's different is that you're creating and i think that there is a whether it's uh, some sort of god gene within ourselves or a need you know people talk about our need for food and for water and for light but, you know, the, it could be argued there's a need for us to try and create things as well. And and it's that creation thing that creates a great level of self-esteem. But it might also be, um, and a lot of sheds do this, and they're very varied in, in what they do, but some go and help charities and kit out their charity shops for them with shelving. And so there's that feeling of self-esteem. One of our sheds recently made 17 xylophones for um, for our school. Um, because the school couldn't afford it. So the shed said, okay, we'll do that for you. Um, Unfortunately, they then tried to play them to the students, which was a little bit horrific. (laughs) But um, it's, uh, um, you know, it's that creating thing, I think, really makes a difference. And the fact that everyone can do it to to some level. Um, And and do you think that it's, men are, have become victims in the society that led to the need to create um, a charity like yours? I think, yeah, I think that um, we're very often our own worst enemies. We don't, and these are all stereotypes, um, but I think it's important that there's a reason that there are stereotypes. um, And so I live in the village where my wife was born and where she grew up, well, not born, but where she grew up. And that's because we came here because 
my wife's mother wasn't too well and so you know i i came here and i think that can be typical of a of a, of a man um to do that but also, you know, society, we, the people talk about toxic masculinity and mm. men are their own worst enemies. And, and it's all a bit of a nonsense, really. It's society puts the pressure on yeah. a man that, that we feel that we have to be the money earner. We feel that we have to, um, you know, provide for other people and provide for our families. And, and, and so we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And then there's also, there is a level of prejudice. We, we had a shed um, in... Um, in Norfolk, um, where the local authority decided that the shed wasn't allowed in a building adjacent, not in, not in school grounds, but next to school grounds, because it was a group of men and they were a safeguarding risk. Now, you know, we challenged the council on this and they came back and said, oh, well, you know, it's, um, you know, well, well, men are a safeguarding risk, so, you know, well, can you please evidence this? So there is some um, underlying prejudice against men. And, and equally, sorry, in that group, there's a WI, a Women's Institute, in that same building. So um, it's, um, it is double standards. But I think, yes, yeah, society pushes on us. And, and you only need to look at the levels of uh, mental health um, um, conditions, but also the, the, the number of suicides. You know, there have been four suicides. Well, out, out of every four suicides, three of which are men. Um, and also, we visit the doctors less. We visit the G, the uh, chemist less than women. Um, so you know, we don't like to do those things. And whether it's we don't don't like to bother people, or you know, and, and this is coming from a hypochondriac. My wife will say that I'm I'm most certainly a hypochondriac. Mm. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's you know, we we try to be the strong one, and actually, um, you know, that then creates pressure on ourselves. And an expectation as well within within society. Um, now that may change, and it, and it may well be changing, but but the outcomes will not see those change in terms of what happens with with the results of poor mental health. But the shed's not just about mental health; it's right. there just to go and make stuff. Right. Um, right. We do get referrals. Um, very often, we get the wife bringing the husband down and telling him he's not allowed home until he's actually signed up. Um, to join to join the shed um but um it, it's you know it's it's a safe it's a safe space to go and just do stuff and and people talk about the sheds being therapy that dare not speak its name or um adding years to life and life to years but reality in reality you know people retire what are they going to do with their lives um and and you can go to soft play for men which is going into a workshop using all the fabulous tools that are there and making things that, you know, you, you couldn't imagine that you would have done before. Or, or maybe, you know, it's, it was an interest at school and you've never had the opportunity to do it since. So what are the most popular activities in the sheds? Um, there's, a, there's a lot of bird boxes um, and planters. So, you know, if you're in a railway station and you see planters, they've probably been made by a men's shed. Um, but wood turning is a big popular thing. Fixing, um, fixing um, people's furniture as well. Um, but you know, people people make all sorts of things. I mean, there is a group that make coracles, which are basically um, half a football, but it's a, a boat, and it's you know maybe um, a meter and a half wide. Uh, very very unstable. And not only do they make these boats that used to be here three, four thousand years ago, they then try to sail them on the river. So, um, 
uh, <laughs> not to very much success, unfortunately. Um, but uh, amusing to watch. You know, and some sheds make trebuchets for the local community events and uh, catapults and um, stocks and things like that. So, but they they make you know everything is 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 quite possible. But wood wood turning is is very popular. Um, and then um, yeah, helping out. We have, we have sheds in schools that. Um, which is contrary to the, the other comment in, in, in Norfolk, but um, sheds in schools where they do a lot of repairs for the school to help the school out as well. Um, so it's about feeling useful again in many ways and and helping people. Um, Wonderful. Charlie, um, Charlie Bethel, thank you so much for taking time out for oh, the Drive Time Show this afternoon. Wish you a fantastic evening ahead. May peace be with you, sir. With you. Thank you. Bye. We are asking the question what three qualities are important in a man, and we have had some responses. Um, we have had a response from, uh, well, I won't read the names out, but some one person says righteous, intelligent, and ambitious. Somebody else has said trustworthy, responsible, and good sense of humor. There is honesty, loyalty, kindness. Um, respect, understanding, flexibility, patience, humbleness, confidence, um, understanding and caring, loyalty, honesty and bravery, righteousness, humbleness and kind. What's missing? What's your take on that, Brother Daniel? Take on what? You you mentioned a lot of things. Well, my take on... Well, a lot of these answers are kind of fairly standard and, and, and you know, most people tend to agree with... Um, have kind of said the same thing, but in different words. What are the three qualities you think? Or what's the what's one quality that you would say? Um, you know, there's no right answer. There's no right and wrong answer here for everyone. It's it's I suppose it's it's an individual choice. But what what's the one quality that you think is important in in being a man? I think it's uh, I, very difficult to answer that question. It is, I think, isn't it? I think it's uh, it's a uh, I would it's, I would call that traits. Mm-hmm. Rather than you know the emotional physical uh, side of it, I think the, uh, life is all about balance. Mm-hmm. Life is all about having a, a, a balanced emotions and and taking care of yourself both physically, mentally, spiritually, and uh, and that's what makes you uh, a good person. Good, good person. So yep. Let's, um, it's interesting that all the answers that I read out, yeah, were from women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're answering for men, yeah. That's because right. men, men obviously don't have time to the, the, to do answer for them. So. Shall I say <laughs> some, shall I say something controversial? Sure. They're all out working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people, some people on on radio might not like that. That's uh, right. brother Kiyomi. Yeah, I but, know it's a Friday afternoon. It's a joke before people come in. And, uh, absolutely. So yeah, let me go uh, on that note to our next guest, uh, Dan Thomas, who is. Um, CEO and founder of the charity Man Up. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. Thank you for joining us, Dan. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Well, lovely to speak to you. Uh, tell us more about Man Up. Okay, so in, in a nutshell, Man Up started in 2019. That was after the death of Keith Flynn. I don't know if you have you heard of Prodigy. No. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, okay. I, I know Prodigy. Yeah. Yep. 
Shame on you, whoever said no. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I digress. But basically, right. that, I, I, um, I, I, I knew Keith through like the music scene and all this kind of stuff, so it hit me quite hard. Right. Anyway, I fast forward, I'll, I'll fast forward. That triggered something, so I decided to just try and do something to try and get men speaking to 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 speak to people around them about whatever's going on in their head. So the backbone of, of Man Up is simply to encourage blokes to speak to those who are around them. Um, why do you think men or men in general uh, are kind of are always reserved about how they truly feel? I, I think just through my own perspective and the many conversations, I think it's, it's I think it's over two hundred conversations via Man Up that that we've had on the, the public videos. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just we're as a society, I think we're just drummed in that men are the providers, stiff upper lip, just get on with it. And funny enough, when I done my research of what to call Man Up back then. I googled the term man up and, and everyone was like, don't call it that. But the true meaning of man up, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is to be brave enough to, to be brave enough or tough enough to deal with an unpleasant or an awkward situation. The trouble is that's now been brushed off of shut up, get on with it and just keep going and going and going. Don't tell anybody and basically until you break. And I think that's that's what that's what's happened. Have they, have they answered that? Sorry. Yeah. Well, one question that comes to mind, um, Dan, is all the things that you mentioned. It it so so right. Yes, that is that that is the kind of um, um, the message that sometimes gets gets uh, that gets put out. Um, but in the in the media, there's always this. In fact, Brother Daniel asked this question to our previous guest as well. That have men been made victims of or have men made themselves victims is it themselves uh, or is it the media it, that's putting pressure on you know of all the things you just listed well i i do i do think the terms i think that i did listen to that the term masculinity has mm-hmm. been massively mixed up with the term toxic masculinity yes toxic masculine there is no place in any society for the term toxic masculinity but there is nothing wrong with simply being a man. If you want to fix an engine, fix an engine. If you want to have a cry, have a good cry. There's no distinction to what what a man is. There are no rules to that, especially now. And and I think I think that's kind of what the problem is. It, it's just no one know. I think it it kind of feels wrong to be a man in 2022. My my the question that comes to my mind is, and I so I so rightly agree with you that if a man wants to cry, he can. My issue yeah, is exactly. why why does he need to advertise it? Why does he need to tell anyone? Oh, I've I've cried. The fact that he's yeah, cried, if he has cried, he's looked after his mental health. He's kind of displayed an emotion. Why does he need to advertise it to to uh, to to kind of what? to live up to the, the, the narrative of what a man is in 2022? Well, I, I think you've hit a valid point, and this is one of the things I noticed with my own personal mental health demons, excuse the expression or, 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 or thing, is when I, when I wanted to, I noticed with men, it's either you must be in touch, there's nothing wrong with being in, in touch with your feminine side, it's tight. If you want to have a cry, that's, 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 
A man who cries is actually quite a masculine thing. I'm not a crier, and I applaud any bloke who's willing to go, do you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, I need a good cry and let it all out of my system. And by, I think we have seem to have moved into this whole, this, this whole thing where we just, we've got to be more feminine. You must be, you're not, it's got to be full-blown sob sitting in a circle and all this kind of stuff. And it, it just doesn't need to be, it just doesn't need to be like that. If you want to have a bit of a cry and sit on your own, then go go ahead and do that. If you want to learn how to knit because it makes you feel better, then do then do that. But yeah, you, you, you're right. There's, there doesn't need to be a big full blown a, a full blown conversation about mental health. And sometimes some of the best conversations about about mental health is actually don't say you don't need to say oh I'm depressed I'm feeling no I'm feeling sad because there's many folks who wouldn't use those terms. I wouldn't myself. I would say. Mate, I'm having a really bad day. Do you fancy you fancy a coffee? Mm. Just, just just say that. There's nothing. We, we seem to have moved into the whole feelings conversation, and you don't always need to do that. It depends on the person. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But then, isn't it a contradiction in terms when you say that you you've got to um, relate to your feminist side? I mean, you've got to relate to your human side. It's human to cry. Yes, no, it, it, no it, I, I totally not agree with it. It is human to cry. I, I feel like I'm contradicting myself because I'm not actually a crier. I'd love to learn, if I'm honest with you, but bear in mind, and I'm always encouraging people jo- to... Join the club, Jan. Up. I'm not a crier either. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly that. But I, I will never judge anybody because they, because I'm kind of jealous of it, actually, because everyone's saying how good it is and is me just like looking quite, looking quite stern. I think that's such an interesting word you use. I think, and, and I think that's where the problem is. In the society we're living in, a lot of men are feeling that they're being judged. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I, I just find if you if you're a bloke, but that's the expression. If you're seen as a masculine bloke, mm-hmm. then actually, if you're not willing to have a good cry and give us a cuddle and all this kind of stuff, then actually, there's something wrong with you, and actually, you're not doing it right. And actually, my way of dealing with my mental health is actually say, mate, do you, do you want to just go for a coffee? Do you want to sure. go for a drink? Do you want to go for a walk? If, if the outcome is the same of, of a man reaching out to somebody, it doesn't matter if they want to have a good old cry, sit, in, sit around knitting or fix an engine. It doesn't matter as long as they're doing something. And I think that's where we need to, we need to stop this judgment of it's got to be the solution to mental health is this, and that's the only way to do it. And I... I I, I just think that's wrong. Sorry, I've gone on a full-blown preach. No, no, that's okay. No, I'm that's quite, okay. I'm quite passionate. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Thank you. Dan, I wish you fantastic health. I wish you positive mental health. I wish you a fantastic evening. Um, and uh, may peace be with you, brother. Cheers. Thank you. And that was Dan Summers, who is a mental uh, men's mental health awareness charity. Um, he's the founder of Man Up. Um, <clears throat> brother Daniel. Yes. What can I say to you now? Yeah, well, I I wanted to say something to you actually. Now go on. Why 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 would you say you're not a cry? So you don't you don't cry no. in prayer? No, no. You see, again, hmm. crying in prayer is the only place to cry. Then you are a cry. No, but you see, again, there it, is a time and a place, as you say. There, exactly, it's the time and the place. Yeah. To me, I I'm maybe controversial. I'm not going to say crying is a sign of weakness. But it is, and but it isn't. If do you understand what I'm saying there? 
it, it's again, it's 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 narrative. I think this notion, this narrative, is generational. I think with different generations, it means different things. Um, I think it has a lot to do with how people deal with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I think this generation, the issue, the, the pressures are a lot more. Um, and I think there are a lot more. My age, I mean, you're only a little bit younger, but I'm sure you will agree that we didn't have, or I certainly didn't have, social media telling me what to do. I didn't have, um, you know, infinite number of TV channels telling me what to do. We had, you know, radio. We kind of had a number of channels. We had four Very TV limited channels. Number of channels, exactly. We, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, social media has been a, has brought in an absolutely new paradigm, and it's a, it's been a game changer, really, yeah. in terms of uh, uh, you know bringing a very different, creating a very different environment. And I think our pressures were different. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they were less; they were different. Yeah. Um, going back to the hate crime thing, mm-hmm. I know I have been a, I've been a victim, and I have been part and parcel of hate crime because of ethnicity mm. um, experienced at first hand of experience seen been there uh, skinheads um, um, you know um, uh, riots been part and parcel of um, of exchanges with people who who hate you not because they know you they don't know no. they just hate you because you just happen to be a different color no. those kind of pressures are not they are around now hmm. but they they were different at that time yeah absolutely this uh, this generation the pressure in today's society obviously uh, i think would be hard to disagree that are uh, because of the because of technology, because of so many different things happening, it are very different to to pressures, let's say thirty years ago. Definitely, let's go to our next guest of the afternoon. We have with us Duncan Hayworth, who is a volunteer facilitator with Mind the Men, who runs the the Dundavale Group and have done so far for the past four years. Good afternoon, welcome, peace be on you, Duncan. Thank you. Hi there. How are you? you I'm well? good. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for good. asking. I uh, hope you're good. well too. Um, yes, thank you. Duncan, tell us about Mind the Men. What are the aims and the missions? Very simple. Uh, Mind the Men started uh, just over four years ago uh, with the aim to prevent suicide in men in the west of Scotland. Mm. Why men in the west of Scotland? Well, they are by far the largest group. Uh, 75% of all suicides in Scotland are, are by men. Um, 565 last year, so we're nearly at two suicides uh, per day, which is an absolutely appalling number. Um, the club was started, unfortunately, because uh, one of uh, the cousin of one of the other facilitators took his own life, and this took this took the family um, absolutely by. They were devastated by this. They had no idea that this chap um, had any mental health issues, and they felt that if there was a safe place mm-hmm. for him to come and share his troubles uh, in a safe environment without being judged, uh, he would have been alive today. So. In his memory, 
um, and to prevent other young men doing the same. Um, my other facilitator, Gary, he, he started the club along with his friend John. So we welcome anybody mm. uh, to the club who is uh, having suicidal thoughts, who has any mental health issues, who is suffering from bereavement, who has any kind of troubles. Um, and that is very simply what we try and do. We offer a safe space for men to come, uh, for men to share their troubles um, without being judged, but being listened to by their peers. Sure. So, Duncan, what do you think is behind this statistic of 75% of all suicides in Scotland uh, being committed by men? Well, historically, uh, the West of Scotland man has been brought up not to show emotion, uh, not to share feelings, to keep everything to themselves, to mm. you know, to be very macho, to be the alpha male, mm. to uh, bottle up everything. Position, yeah. yeah, to bottle up everything, and that that tradition unfortunately carries on to this day. Um, so that is probably why we still have a large proportion of men uh, taking their own lives, and it's a forty-six to fifty-four age group as well. So it kind of tends to be the older age group who. Uh, come under the category, unfortunately. Right, and when you talk to some of those people who who have these suicidal thoughts, it's a, is the reason mostly economic, or are there other factors? Well, no, that's an interesting question because we don't ask them. Hmm. We have a format at the club that they come into a safe space. We have a a, a format where we ask. We ask four questions. We ask how they're feeling. We ask, give us a, 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 a resume of your week. Give us a positive from your week. And is there anything to get off your chest? And then we'll break. We'll have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, chocolate biscuit. And really that's when the work starts, when the other guys you know, start to talk uh, to them. So we don't actually sit them down and say why you think they're committing suicide. We let them just talk and talk. They can talk about anything they want. Um, we we don't force the issue. And I think it's mm-hmm. just right that we just let men come in and talk. The, brave, the, the, the most difficult step uh, is actually coming over the threshold. And we always say, look, we, are, we understand that you're coming into a room full of strangers, but by the end of the evening, You'll be talking to a, a room full of friends, and that's how it all works. But we never ever force anybody to tell us why they're having they're having suicidal thoughts. Do you also then um, uh, recommend uh, to them that they should they need to get some proper therapy, or they need to go to a GP and 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 get properly treated? Absolutely, we we that's that's our role really. We signpost men. Uh, we would, uh, if they're in crisis, we would get them help uh, and point them in the right direction. The club will pay for counselling, private counselling for them. We've done that in the past. We will uh, suggest, if, you know, if they're not in touch with the GP, to get in touch with the GP or present themselves at A&E. It just depends on the individual. There's not one, you know, one uh, rule uh, to fix all. Sure, and 
uh, and what sort of role uh, do sporting activities? I know you do uh, a lot of activities like walking groups, yep. football, golf tournaments. Yep. Um, correct. How important do you think um, they are in terms of um, uh, rehabilitation of those men? Yeah, we think it's very important. It's been proven scientifically that exercise is mm. good for the mind. Sure. Um, so we encourage all our activities are based on some kind of activity. If it could be a walking group, it could be a hill climb, it could be cycling, it could even be bowling. But it's a physical activity. It's something to just get them to get them going. We also believe in in laughter as well. Believe it or not. So the the, the night sounds as if it might be all doom and gloom. You know, trying to stop. Uh, grown men committing suicide but I've got to tell you that some of the best laughs that we've had is at the club and we, we really do believe in, in uh, laughter being the best medicine in fact our Christmas night out this year is going to be at a comedy club so um, that just encourages the, the guys just to come together and we, we, we do that because um, men suffering with mental health conditions withdraw socially so it's trying to get them back into mm. um to, to mixing socially again as well so it, they all have benefits excellent duncan hayworth thank you so very much for joining us uh this was uh very enlightening thank you for all the good work you're that you're doing welcome. have a great nice um uh, evening ahead thank you very much okay thank you thank you the peace with you brother so that was duncan hayworth who is a facilitator with mind the men uh charity in scotland Let's go straight to um, an interview we um, uh, had the uh, opportunity to record with uh, Imam um, Imtiaz Ahmed, uh, sorry, Imtiaz Sara, from he is the missionary for Amdi Muslim community in Vaughan in Toronto in Canada. Let's go and listen to what Imam Imtiaz had to say on this topic. So joining us today is Imam Imtiaz Ahmed, uh, who is uh, a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and he's also an engaging speaker, writer, and author. Um, to tell you a little bit more about Imam Imtiaz, he, um, after completing his, his study in Canada, he has served in Ghana and is currently the Imam of the Betul Islam Mosque in Vaughan. Um, and apart from his uh, community uh, commitments and regular interfaith events that he um, organizes uh, and uh, speaks at, uh, he's also led very popular initiatives um, such as Muslims for Remembrance Day, Stop the Crisis, uh, Meet a Muslim Family, Fast with a Muslim, um, Islam Understood and Visit a Mosque. Um, while serving in Ottawa, he was noted as one of the top three youth in Ottawa to watch out for in 2015 by the uh, Metro News uh, Ottawa. Uh, Imam Imtiaz was also named as one of the 25 most influential young Canadians by the Power and Influence magazine. Um, and uh, we're very um, happy and pleased that we have Imam Imtiaz with us today. Assalamu alaikum, may peace be upon you, and thank you very much for taking our time to speak to us here on Voice of Islam today. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and it's always a pleasure to be at Voice of Islam. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, so I think the first thing I wanted to ask you is that as someone who's been you know, recognizes the role model for the younger men in your community, which is, you know, fantastic. And that's something that we're talking about today. What sort of initiatives um, have you undertaken to support uh, the youth? And how has your experience been uh, in this regard? 
Um, you see, the religion of Islam is a complete religion, and uh, it uh, claims to be for all the people and for all times to come. Uh, and uh, this is the beauty of the religion of Islam, uh, that the, the teachings of Islam are never irre irrelevant. So uh, the inherent teachings of Islam, uh, you know, gives us many ideas how to stay connected and stay on the right course. Um, you know, one thing that I can I can talk about is, uh, you know, uh, the first commandment that has been mentioned in the Holy Quran is is worship of God Almighty. As a matter of fact. Uh, um, in, in the Holy Quran, God Almighty says the, the purpose of creation of human being is to worship uh, God Almighty. And a Muslim is required to pray five times a day at uh, a mosque. Mm -hmm. So that itself is a whole package, the whole initiative, uh, you know, bringing people to the masjid, encouraging them to become, uh, them, them to become, uh, come to the masjid. That uh, is is a huge task and a huge initiative. And you know the reason why I say this: uh, first, uh, you know, you get the spiritual, um, uh, you know, comfort and solace in the mosque when you come to prayer. God Almighty says it is in the remembrance of God Almighty that the hearts find comfort. Um, and then, uh, apart from that, the 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 social and the moral support that you receive at the mosque by meeting different people, um, making new friends, you know, contributing in any way you can. Um, that, uh, you know, everything around the prayer itself is, um, you know, gives us an opportunity to stay on the right course and stay focused. Mm. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned, obviously, people being able to come at the mosques and talk uh, to each other you know and we have obviously gone through some years of uh, covid and where people have not been able to uh, to to socialize as much so do you think that there is a need for uh, more male role models to kind of open up and, and help and aid men in understanding and maintaining good mental health because that's exactly what you know uh, helps when 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 people are able to meet up in the mosques and especially the youth talk about you know um things that are important to them uh, yes absolutely i think um we we need um more success stories to to come out and uh, and people to share their experiences how they have gone through difficult times and and how uh, they were able to overcome uh, with those uh, you know, uh, through those difficult times you know in, in during the pandemic and even after uh, post pandemic we are uh, we have a helpline where, you know, people who are faced with different challenges, uh, um, be it moral, spiritual, or mental health challenges, um, you know, where they can they, uh, they 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 can call anonymously, and you know, their people are there who have uh, gone through these difficult times, who have full expertise in this uh, regard. They are there to counsel them, to guide them, to help them, even meet with them in person if they want. Uh, so absolutely, there is a, a, a dire need, especially this time, post-pandemic, we need more and more people to come out and share their experiences, how they have come out of those difficult times. Mm. And and often for, for men, um, and, and especially youth, it is not easy, is it? I mean, to, to get the 
talks or the conversations going sometimes people are very you know they don't want to share their feelings or they don't want to be seen as um you know uh, i don't know how, how how i can put it but they they don't want to uh be judged as, as somebody who expressed their feelings and that that's very much you know something that is could be a problem for for men especially how how do you how do you see that i mean how do we tackle that yeah you know absolutely you have, have pointed out very rightly that you know not many people are are open about these things and that's why you know in the ahmadi muslim community uh with the youth we have organized different uh, different sports for example here in canada we have different uh, different uh leagues of different sports where we encourage uh the youth to sort of uh, participate in in these activities and that's where they make friends so we have cricket cricket league we have soccer amadia muslim soccer league um there we have abl amadia basketball league i mean you name it there are different outdoor uh, activities you know canada is a vast country and mm. if you, you don't delve into sports you can just go and visit places you know uh you go out fishing hunting do do things so that's where you actually come out and make friends and uh, then you start sharing with these, uh, these things of course it's not easy but you know they say the uh, journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step yeah so uh, so you know taking that step you know go meeting someone and or you know going to you know play cricket or soccer or you know anything with that matter that's the first step then you make friends you know the worst thing one can do to uh, want to oneself is is to you know remain closed in closed doors not speak to anyone this will only make the situation worse yeah. that's why we have different range of sports um, where uh, you know the youth can participate and if you're running into sports you can just go hiking do other things um so like i said we encourage people to you know come out and and Uh, sort of get involved in these things and the worst thing out of all of this is is you you just you know remain in closed doors and not not do anything yeah you know absolutely and as you mentioned you know canada you, you're lucky obviously you're there and you have so much um you know beautiful nature and and things that one can do um fantastic um what is your personal advice imam imtiaz for somebody who's who's struggling with their mental health but do not have somebody to look up to or to seek advice from what sort of um help can can be provided to them uh you know like i said earlier on uh, the first thing is that uh, you need to you know speak to someone now you got to have someone in your life that you can speak your mind and heart to and you got to open about the uh, open up about these things if you're not uh, one is not open about these things and one will only end up hurting oneself so it's extremely extremely important uh to open up and talk to somebody who in in the family or somebody outside who you know that the person would be able to help and and more importantly seek um, you know medical help or professional help and, you know in some communities uh, there is a, you know there is a taboo that is attached with with the uh with the mental health and people don't want to talk about it and if somebody wants uh, to even open up about it and they sort of shun it so this is something you know to those people who um uh, who who are people seeking uh for help they should not discourage people 
uh, with, with you know mental health challenges they should encourage them treat them as one of one of their own so it goes both ways right mm-hmm. uh, the education is also very important about these things that you know these mental health uh, um, uh, issues are real and uh, they affect people lives and mm-hmm. um, so it's important to understand it and help them accordingly but at the same time those who are going through some rough time in, in their life, mental health challenges, it's always important to, to speak about, about these challenges uh, to someone you, uh, you know, uh, love and, and someone close to you. Absolutely. And I think, I think you did mention um, in the beginning that you know, Islam is, is a religion that gives us the solution to these, um, these issues as well. Obviously, mental health is a growing problem right across uh, the world. Uh, but obviously, when we look at Islam, you know, praying in the mosque, praying together shoulder to shoulder, um, you know, without any discrimination, you know, uh, Muslim brothers, uh, you know, talking to each other. Um, also the teaching of looking after your neighbors, whether you're related, not related. Um, I mean, things like that in the teaching of Islam really help, doesn't it, in, in solving these issues? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, if you look at the mental health challenges, the the, uh, the main one of the main reasons where they stem out from that person going through some traumatic experience, some difficulties in life, and then it leads to mental health issues. We are told uh, in the Holy Quran, commanded in fact in the Holy Quran, to follow the example of our beloved Master, the Holy Founder of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. And when we read his life, when we uh, about his life, how you know his life was full of challenges. Every step of the way, there was mountain of challenges in front of him. And you know, uh, by praying to God Almighty, by surrounding yourself with good people, um, and 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 staying on the right course, you're able to change uh, the course. You're able to change the course of your life, the history. Or you know mental health for that matter. So if we, this is, has been the hallmark of the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of God be upon him, that he was faced with many challenges. You know his parents passed away when he was young, and then his grandfather passed away when he was about six uh, or eight years old, and then uh, so many challenges. He was raised as an orphan. Uh, then you know how when he started spreading the message of Islam, there were so many challenges. Uh, there were so many challenges, and every step of the way, with the help of God, he was able to overcome. So that's why, going back to the original point that I made in the beginning, um, that it's the worship of God where we, the hearts and minds, find comfort. So this is where we need to focus on. When we do that, you know, God Almighty directs you in ways where you can, you know, um, uh, take control of your life. Mm. Absolutely, spot on. Thank you very much, Imam Imtiaz, uh, joining us from Canada. Thank you very much, Missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. Thank you, sir, very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Jazakallah. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum as-salamu wa rahmatullah. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
There we had uh, Imam Safir, uh, who was kind enough to um, uh, to interview uh, Imam Nimtiaz from Canada, um, who gave us some fantastic examples of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, on the qualities uh, that needed um, in uh, fulfilling your role as a man. I mean, you know, th- there's so many different roles that one plays in Islam, um, the, the provider, the protector, um, within a family unit, um, and without going into this 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 uh, um, uh, debate of uh, um, you know equality, this has got nothing to do with equality. We are talking specifically about the role of a man, and Islam does say that it is the man who is the protector, who is the provider, the breadwinner of the house, and and it, and and hence there are roles. Uh, those roles are important: of father, brother, um, son. Um, and all of these responsibilities um, are attributed to men, and they are they, there are rules that they have to fulfill, and they have to and and uh, and behaviors they have to adhere to, um, in order to fulfill these roles. In a speech in 2014, the worldwide head of the Amdi Muslim community stated, "As we have established, the first thing needed for reformation of practices is strength of resolve. What is strength of resolve?" Many will say strength of resolve is self-explanatory. It is obviously the strength to resolve and conclude something. Then why the question? Let it be clear, as the second caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, has beautifully explained that the connotation of strength of resolve alters in accordance with the action it is about. Brother Daniel talked earlier about being balanced, which is so correct. From my perspective, I think one of the things, one of the qualities of men is to is to hold your word. If you're going to say something, do it. One of our um, one of our answers earlier on our Instagram story was confidence. And that is very important in life. Um, it is very important to the role of being confident. I mean, a lot of our guests um, kind of um, alluded to it that a lot of men tend to lose confidence because of pressures. Um uh, from society or from from pressures from within the family from within friends from within all different aspects of the roles that man has to play um in uh, in their lives and confidence is important but as um our uh, imam from canada um alluded to it and and kind of gave us examples that you got to have confidence in yourself and that confidence comes from from prayer me and brother daniel even though we joked about it but the whole idea of crying is if we cry in our prayer when we uh, when we want something when we want to thank someone then the one um, in in the one we go to um to to um, to get that power to to deal with our pressures of mental health is god almighty who is our creator who has provided us with anything he gives us everything and he takes everything away it is all within his power in conclusion, we should aspire to instill a self-determination in our hearts and follow only what we know is right. We should be strong, not only for ourselves, but for our family, our friends, our neighbors, and all of those who are dependent on us. You've been listening to The Drive Time Show with myself, Kayum, Brother Daniel, and Imam Brother Raza. Um, a thank you to our producers, Arub Anwar, Ruhi Yaqub, and Nadia Shamas. Thank you to all of our guests who have taken time out and come on to the show and uh, and, and put some substance into the discussions we've had. 
please uh, forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayers. I wish you a fantastic evening ahead, an even better and a blessed weekend. May God be with you. Please remember us in your prayers. Until next time, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.